You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast from your boy, Al Mega. Thank you one and all for tuning in today because we have a very special guest. I mean, homie is amazing. He's a maker of comics. He's a writer of words. And homie sent me a story just a few minutes ago that I read that had me emotionally fucked up, folks, on some real shit. Who am I introducing? The only man over here right now that's, that, that, that had Al Mega almost in tears in the comic book. The one and only, Mr. Alex Schumacher. What up, kiddo? How you doing? Hey, Al. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, bro. Thank, thank you for making me get all emo before the show. I'm like, damn, bro, I got to make sure my eyes ain't right. Cause shit, That's what I do. Up. You know, they say play to your strength. So I, I make people sad, and I found I do that well. <laughs> Folks, he's not lying. I'm not lying. I mean, it's, you know, he talks about life experience and, you know, the experience that he shared with me and that story is something that, you know, again, you know, on a personal level, it's things that I've been through. Yeah. So it's like it, it really made me reflect and think. I was like, "Holy shit!" I, I like I said, I, like I told you in the backstage, turned to wifey. I'm like, "Yo, this, this story is so sad. You got to read this because I, you know, with everything going on in the world, that's the last thing I need right now." Yeah, yeah I can imagine right now the last thing you need is something that's more depressing. You know, but yo, Al, bro, you know that that goes to show your talents though, because when a writer's able to make someone feel on that level in the story. It's a testament to your skill, so thank you for that. Oh, now, well, thank you. Before we get into that whole building of those skills and, mm-hmm. and how you're here today, comic crew always gotta know the origin story, if you will. So, Al, sure. let me know where you from, OG. Yeah, uh, it's it's a fairly unremarkable story, but I'll be happy to regale you with my <laughs> banalities. Uh, I I was born in LA originally. Yeah. Uh, my folks split when I was about four. So we moved up to Salinas. Shout out Salinas. Still in California. Yeah, still in California. It's it's a kind of an ag town about twenty minutes. And you north. said that's so Spanish, Salinas. Creo que sí en Salinas, compa. Epa, um, look at that. We, I'm a little rusty on my Spanish, but uh, but yeah, yeah look at you. You know accent on that. Love it. Yeah, I, you know, growing up around that culture honestly was was a huge deal for me because it's such a beautiful. The, the traditions and the culture itself are, are amazing. And they and the food is they, slamming. <laughs> the food's great, too. I mean, I didn't want to go there first because it sounds very superficial. But, hey, but know, it is. Man, as a Puerto Rican, I'll tell you, I love my Puerto Rican food and my Caribbean food. Yeah, man. man. You, you know, I, I can say I know good Mexican food. I, I feel like I can say that and, and be accurate. <laughs> uh, but we grew we, we Sorry, we moved up there because my mother's parents, my maternal grandparents were in Salinas. So it was it was for the, the familial support and being somewhere that was somewhat familiar. And you, and you know, it was a, a young age. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we weren't privileged in the wealth sense. We weren't affluent, but we always had like most Latinos. Needed. Like most Latinos. Well, yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, there's a lot most of, of you know, there's parallels. Oh, We're yeah, working yeah. class, though. There's, you know, you know that that small percentage of successful Latinos is even smaller than successful people in the world. So sure. even within our community, isn't even a smaller number at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, and and so yeah, I found that there were a lot of parallels between 
myself, the Jewish community and yeah. the Latino community. My so, brother, I grew up in Brooklyn right next to Williamsburg. There you go. And I love my, my people out there. And yeah, <laughs> you're right. We've gone through many of the same struggles. Yeah, yeah, we have. And and so it was it was something that I, I you know felt very connected to early on. So I grew up in Salinas and when I was about 23, so after high school, I'll back up a little. Yeah, Next please back city. up. Because I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, how did you get into any of this culture? Did it happen as a kid? Are you telling me it happened after 23? Like, damn. No, no, no. Well, there is sort of an incident. So I'll go through uh, okay. when I was about, when I was a kid, my grandparents gifted me with the Smithsonian collection of newspaper comics. So that was my first love was Ooh. was like the funnies you know the newspaper comics Ooh. people like roy crane and you know dick gold who did uh, uh or i'm sorry chester gold who did dick tracy walt kelly you know all those classic guys schultz so i fell in love with that and i did kind of discover comic books when i was a little bit older maybe nine or ten so i always love drawing and i think most kids do there's just you know the majority of kids grow up and realize that they need something that actually makes money and is a little more lucrative and then there's i was the a hell of a voltron artist i'll tell you that much i could draw yeah. voltron out the ass as a kid but now like like, I, like okay i'm not that good but i could draw him out the ass so. that's probably the only character to this day i could probably still draw <laughs> yeah well hey that's still something so when i was about seven or eight you know, my father was a commercial artist and you know not not an incredibly successful one but he had the skill set for sure okay and when I was about seven or eight, we were still doing visitations. You know, my mom would would take us down to L.A. And when I was about seven or eight, my father, you know, basically <laughs> told me that I didn't have the abilities or the innate talent to be a cartoonist. When I was seven wait, or eight, it, I don't think. Wait, wait a minute. You know, this is your own dad telling This you? is my own father. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, you know why? You know, no disrespect, but yo, middle finger salute, bro. I would have yeah, done it to you, my you own dad. Him. You can disrespect him. It's fine. I don't. Yeah, that's <laughs> not right. No father no. should ever tell their child that shit. You know, especially at seven or eight, when all of those skills are still, you know, kind of primitive and developing. That's you oh, know, listen. there's no need to critique it. I have a time. middle brother that that was drawing at that age, and I'm yeah. like, oh, kid, you're amazing. I I wish I could. To this day, I still have a picture in my collection somewhere of a, <laughs> a, that he drew the mask when he was like six or seven years old. Oh, wow. amazing. And, you know, and I always show my parents, look what he was able to do even then, you know, I always support that. You know, and yeah. he was getting picked on because he was lefty. My father's like, no, oh, you can't be lefty. You got to be righty. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> I, 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 anytime you leave the room, I say, go, go use your damn left hand. Don't listen to his ass. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I remember that in elementary school, too. But you I too? There you oh, go, yeah. folks. Well, I'm not you a know, lefty. Shit I'm happens. Not lefty, but... You're yeah. not, but you know what we're talking about. Like, yeah, find I know exactly that, what you're talking about. You know, yeah. so, you know, you know. People, it's a real thing. Look it up. It's like people were racist against lefties. Like, what is wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a similar kind of discrimination for sure. It is. Um, so, so that happened, and I actually stopped drawing for a long time, and I got more into music. Playing so how music. long was your break? Uh, from the age of eight to about twenty-one. Holy so, shit! So he destroyed that. Yeah. So, you. you know, there are wow. some real foundational years where you're supposed to be honing those skills and abilities that I completely missed. So when I got back to it in my early 20s, I was kind of starting from square one again, unfortunately. But 
so so that happened, and I was playing music throughout my teens, throughout high school. That's what I. Hey, really what got type into. of music? What you got into, man? What what, what are you what are your groups, bro? Talk. Uh, my <laughs> first love, as far as playing music, was punk. So okay. I was I was into the Bay Area scene at the time, the Gilman Street, Rancid, and you know all of those oh, groups, Operation Ivy, all those. Groups Did you see them live? I never saw them live, unfortunately. Oh. No. Okay. Um, but I got really into Green Day too, so that's the one that's always that I <laughs> that I look back on now and is like, okay, I clearly didn't know that much about the history of punk rock at the time. But <laughs> but it was through those bands that I found things yeah. like The Clash and Stiff Little Fingers and Bad Brains and The Cramps Ooh. and on and on and on. So that was my first love. Uh, I was also, you know, at that age, it was the you know midish nineties. So grunge was big at the time oh, too. Time, so huh? yeah. also love grunge. That's how many flannel shirts did you own? Did I own or do I still own? Because I still think <laughs> I own quite a few. You know that you never grow out of that. I don't think. Nah, <laughs> but not the flannel. Some sort of bro. aesthetic that just yeah. sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. Cobain made it the coolest though. Doing absolutely, that man. Like you. the ripped up old cardigans. Everybody started yeah, yeah. shopping. <laughs> you know the the right. Chewed up Salvation Congress. Army was like, oh my god, yo, we like the new, <laughs> like the new Gucci. What's going on here? Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> Uh, so I did a lot of that and even I played into my twenties as well and kind of, uh, veered more towards like outlaw country in my, outlaw in my twenties. Holy yeah. crap. I, and I met a young lady that doing outlaw pop rock country ish. Interesting. But hard. Yeah. Her name, oh man. She actually did a comic book. Oh. Uh, Devora is her name. D E V O R A. And she, and she calls herself the queen of outlaw pop. Interesting. You gotta listen to this shit though. So, I, all right, yeah. Interesting word usage there. <laughs> yeah, I'll look that up, man. So, so I sort of went on this musical journey for a long time, but in my twenties, I like I said, I kind of gravitated back towards comics. It was always my first love. Uh, but but most of my twenties, hmm? I got you back. It was. It's kind of a funny story. It was <laughs> "Chasing Amy" by Kevin Smith, who you know is. He's okay as a director, but that movie in particular was about comic book artists. And so the artwork in that movie was done by a fellow named Michael Allred, who oh, yeah, ended up, bro. you know, this was, this was kind of pre-internet. So it was a little harder to find out who did yeah. the artwork at that I, time. I hear you, bro. But, yeah, folks, that, you know, there was a time we didn't have internet and, and we had to do real we're research. Old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no, look so, at you, bro. How the hell do you not have a white hair on your head and you're talking about all of these groups? It's yeah. the lighting. You just can't. See. It's the <laughs> blonde, you know, that, that tends to obscure the, the white hairs a little better. Um, Damn my Puerto Rican black hair that just turns white. <laughs> so through so through Mike Allred, I found Madman, which was one of the big comics that he Amazing. did at the time. And yeah. then kind of all of the indie places, SLG Publishing, uh, Fantagraphics, Drawn in Quarterly. Ooh. All of these beautiful, you know, slice of life. I love what you're yeah. mentioning right now, too, because he, he, you're, you're not even mentioning any big two shit. It's like, yo, I fell no. back in love because I found something that was so outside of that. Yeah, well, the thing was, as a kid, when I saw the books by the big two, it, you know, the artwork was kind of drowning in line work and inking. You know, it was Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane and all these oh, people 90s, who I... Yeah. Yeah, who I knew I would never be able to draw yeah. a, a, at that level. But when I and that ever, all, it was art overwriting too. It was, and so when I discovered all these indie places in my twenties, you know, there was just this light bulb that 
kind of went off and I had found my niche, you know, as far in, in hey. so much as like comics were concerned. So I got back to creating that. My 20s were kind of spent trying to be a, a syndicated cartoonist, though, doing comic strips. Okay. So even though the indie publishers brought me back, I still wanted to pursue that syndicated cartoon. You wanted to get a newspaper or something, have that type. I did, that yeah. Early on. You know what I mean? Because, again, your grandparents blessed you with something amazing early on. Absolutely. That, that, that seed of that. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, with my business acumen, I got into syndicated cartoonies just as the print circulation was in a nosedive. So oh. <laughs> it was not a great time to try and be a syndicated cartoonist. And oh. so later on in my 20s, I kind of went back to comic books. But I was, you know, at the time I was trying to do comics and music and pitch animated series. And, you know, I was doing too many things was the problem. There's nothing wrong with diversifying. But first you have to get a foothold in one specific, you know, milieu. Because what, I was also working full time, you know, to keep a roof over my head and eat. So I decided in my mid thirties that I was going to focus on comics. That was for whatever reason, I decided that was kind of my forte. So from Salinas to the big city, back to Salinas for a little bit. And now I'm back in the Bay area with my wife. Cause I met her when I had moved back to Salinas for a little bit in my early thirties. Is your lady a comics fan? You know, she wasn't a huge comics fan when I met her, but she she was an English major at the time. And so she loved literature and her brother loved comics. So she okay. had this sort of functional knowledge of comics. And when gotcha. I came into her life, she started reading more and really loves the medium. Well, so, awesome. she is, so she's a comics fan now, I guess. All of a sudden, now she looks at her brother and says, okay, you were cool all this time because my husband does this. <laughs> <laughs> it, got, it actually got to a point, we haven't we haven't bought comics regularly for a very long time, but when we first got together, we were for a little bit, and she was outspending me when we went to our local comic shop. Uh, she was yeah, just, I know. You know she was, my wife is long box, has some gems in it that I'm like, shit. Yeah, and wow, she was picking why up didn't I buy like, them? <laughs> she was picking up stuff like Fatal and Sandman and just like really great books. She has, you know, for somebody who didn't really grow up with comics, she has a pretty, you know, wonderful, innate <laughs> sense about which books she likes. It was no, kind of they, incredible. They know what they like. Unlike us, yeah. you know, we, you know, us men, we're going to throw our money at what looks cool. Right. But they actually are going to look, actually throw their money at what they like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and again, she was you know a literary major, so or a literature major rather. So some of the more literary works were what she tended to be attracted to, which is great. And you know, when I found the indie publishers, that was kind of what attracted me to those books as well and those artists because they were they were telling stories that were complex emotionally. And there's nothing wrong if you know with action comics if that's what you like. But for me, it was finding those other books that were sort of exploring the quiet moments in between action that really spoke to me and compelled me to want to do this. I love it, bro. So was it easy for you to get into it? I mean, you know, and and like find the publisher. What was that journey like? Because here you are many years later. Were you familiar with the process of submission? Did you know how to lay out your story? I mean, what type of work did you have to do there in order to be able to, you know, finally start rolling? It it was a lot of groundwork. Um, And for me, you know, growing up with the comics, as as you kind of said, we grew up with stuff that we 
thought looked cool. So things like story and writing weren't necessarily something that I focused on initially. So in my 20s and early 30s, that was sort of the biggest learning curve for me. And again, in my 20s, I was attempting to be a syndicated cartoonist. So the majority of submissions that I was sending out were to the syndicate. So it was, you put together, you know, four weeks of dailies and a couple of Sundays, and then you send that package off. And that was really all there was to. And how much time frame you had here? I mean, to do that, it, it took several months, you know, at the time because I was working full time. So to put those packages together, it took a while. Um, so I would send those out and unilaterally be rejected, <laughs> sink into a hole of depression for a few <laughs> months and then try to do it again. And that was, you know, it, that was my twenties. And so towards the end of my twenties is when I really started learning about comics publishers and, okay. you know, going over guidelines on websites, like meticulously <laughs> going over it because if you don't follow the guidelines, and this is something that I found out very early, if you decide to to cut a corner or skip something, the publisher is going to recognize that because they know oh, what they're yeah. looking for. So doing that, all that does is relate to them that you're somebody who doesn't want to follow directions and that's not a person they want to work with. Yeah. So it, it took me a while to get to a point where I was getting things accepted. And again, I was I was spreading myself way too thin because I was doing three or four different mm. endeavors that all kind of necessitated your full-time focus. And I just wasn't doing that. So when I was about 35, like I said, that's when I really started focusing on my writing, you know, getting back to basics, uh, reading a lot more novels and comics, just anything I could get my hands on. Because I think that's one of the big mistakes that, you know, younger writers or beginning writers make is they think if you just read comics, that's more than enough to give you the education that you need, which it's no. not. You need to be far more well-rounded than that. And you need and to then, read then, books that teach you about creation of comics, writing, oh, absolutely. format, absolutely. you know, construction. I mean, it's an education. And again, it's, listen, it, it, it's a low-cost education. These it books is. are inexpensive. If you have a Kindle account, some of these books just cost you 99 cents. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was funny because... I I decided to forego college and, you know, like I said, much to the chagrin of my parents. Me but, too, my brother. Me too. Yeah. I'm not no college so the, graduate. No. So the education that I received was all, you know, in, in practice, you know. In, School in, of in hard knocks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And getting involved with the Cartoon Society and the Cartoon Art Museum when I was oh, up in the Bay Area. Oh, word. So wait, they have a yeah. Cartoon Society out there in Cali too? Because I remember when I lived in New York, we had the Cartoon Society right there. And that was one of our customers for a job that I worked in. Like, oh, cool. I was dying to be sent there. <laughs> yeah. like, let me drop something off there, please. Right. Anything, anything. Please let me drop off the bill. <laughs> Just to admire the artwork, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, that there is a, so it's a national organization, but there are regional chapters. Yeah. So I got involved with the Northern California how easy was it to get involved? Well, and do you I recommend was, that for creators? I do. Um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to a gentleman called Maury Turner, who unfortunately has passed and he passed, you know, a while uh, ago. But he was a creator. Party. Yeah. May his memory be a blessing. Um, and he did a, a comic strip called The Wee Pals, which was the first integrated comic strip back in the 60s. Oh, so wow. he was, he was, um, 
he was a, a black man who who faced adversity and you know people pushing back against him because it was before the civil rights movement that he was trying to get in. So this is a guy oh. who kicked the doors open for a lot of creators of color. Oh my God! And Say his name again. Say his name again. Sure, Maury Turner. People look him up, especially yeah. you guys out there. I mean, look, another door breaker. I, I've never yeah. heard that name, so thank you for blessing me with that knowledge, so that way I could look at it and like absolutely. Yo, I mean, no, heroes. I, I highly recommend Unsung it. Unsung heroes, man. Yeah, and he was—he's certainly mine. I mean, I consider him sort of an unofficial mentor. Uh, I had a mutual, or my aunt had a friend who knew Maury. And when I moved up to the Bay Area, I was kind enough to make the introductions. And Aww. so I sort of got to learn at the feet of this master. And wow. that was, I mean, you can't pay for that kind of education. How long? How, how long did you get to hang out with Maury? If I uh, got the better part of a decade. The better part of a oh decade. About God. eight or nine years, yeah. Oh, I'm so, so sorry for your loss too. Then. I mean, when you yeah. know somebody that long, that becomes a family member. <laughs> Absolutely. And I definitely felt that way about him. Um, and, and I sort of fell out of touch with him the last few years of his life when I moved away from oh. the Bay Area, which I obviously regret now, but I still considered him a very close friend. And like I said, a, a teacher of mine, and I miss him dearly, but that was my education. And wow. so I, so through him, he then took me to the Cartoonist Society meetings and brought me to the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. Which Were you wherever... aware of that before, Maury? No. Okay. No, I he, was... <laughs> he really blessed you with some knowledge. Like, you, you need yeah. to be involved in this, that, the other. Wow. For sure. I mean, I was a small town kid, man. I, I barely knew much of anything. <laughs> so <laughs> when I moved up there, like I said, that was my education. And it was it was substantial God bless and significant like in, in my, in my you know, progression. Journey. Yeah, my yeah. journey and my progression as a cartoonist. Amazing. Yo. So yeah. how was it when you first landed that, that real first op? You know, you know, in your journey, the when first, they said, "Yo, Toma, yeah, we yeah, got you." The first yes, big one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing when when it happens and you're a kid. So through the through the Cartoon Art Museum, I started going to things like Comic Con in San Diego because I would go exhibit with them and I'd get in for free. And so then may I network. ask, did you yeah. do conventions prior to that? Not really, no. I mean, no? I, I okay. went to, there was WonderCon, which still happens in Anaheim. Yeah. But it was happening in the city at the time that I was there. So it was very easy to just go to that one. So okay. I would go there sometimes. or And the Alternative Press Expo, okay. which was a wonderful indie show at the time. Um, but then I started going to San Diego with them, and that was kind of a an eye opener. That was <laughs> that was something to behold. Uh, you were like, whoa, what year was that? First time I went was 2004, I think. So it was right oh. before it exploded. Because yes. I remember... Early days. I remember, yeah, I remember walking into a panel for Constantine, which if anybody remembers that movie oh, with Keanu shit. Reeves. With way Keanu, back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We waltzed right in and it was in the big hall and we just waltzed right in and got Waltz. a seat. Yeah, whereas nowadays you have to wait, you know, two days in line to get my into brother, one of those panels. I got to go to San Diego in 2019 and that was the year that the, the you know, Hall H was doing all the movie announcement, in, which included oh, yeah. the late announcement. Yeah. Let me tell you that my boy got in line at 10 a.m. and I just looked at him. I said, bro, this is a waste of time if I have to stay <laughs> here. So I'm going to go network and if the line moves along, you tell me when you get in and I'll run down. Yeah. So here I am, brother, 
The floor was ignored. I am approaching Brian Polito. I mean, I'm approaching Gail Simone. Yeah, I'm approaching news. all these big people, and they and I'm like, where's everybody? And they all look at me, Hall H. Like we're like, yeah. my efforts, right? <laughs> but yeah. yo, and then my boy calls me, dude. There was like over five thousand people in that MFR. Two people <laughs> waiting to get in. I was lucky I got a corner because I don't know why he sweet talked this um, security guard. I don't know what he did. So whatever he did, thank you. <laughs> I walked in. You don't need to know, but but you thank him, yeah. Yeah, I don't need to know what he did because she opened the door for me and said, yeah, come in. And all these people looked at me like, who the hell is this guy? Right. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm walking in. jackass just walking <laughs> in. <Yeah. laughs> Yo, bro, let me say, yeah, but you're right, man. I mean, people were camping out for two days because we went every day. You yeah, know, for that weekend, and it's like, yo, it's wild. What a wild experience for me! I've done New York, I've done Massachusetts cons. You know, I even did MegaCon here in Florida. Now, mm. nothing compares to San Diego. No, I mean that's kind of the big one, especially now. And I mean, at the time when I started going, it still was sort of the the aughts, the mid aughts. And like you said, I mean that's where I started networking. So I ended up meeting uh, a guy, Sean um, Sean. O- Neil, <laughs> I'm gonna get his name wrong. He was for he was in Arcana Press. Sean O'Reilly, okay. that's it. Okay. Um, he did Arcana, and they hired me to complete a book called The Unemployment Adventures of Aqualung, and it was an 88 page graphic <laughs> novel. It was my first big job, my first big paying job, and I was ecstatic to have received the opportunity to do that until I realized the scope of work that actually went into it and got my deadline. So that was my first. Wait, so how was that deadline? Like, can you, can you elaborate on that? Was it really short? It was was really short. I mean, shorter than even normal. I think I did 88 pages in something like five months, which is an insane timeline to produce that amount of artwork. Um, oh, <laughs> but, wow. but it was, it was what I believed to be kind of my stepping stone <laughs> to my future. Uh, and this happened in 2013. So that tells you everything you need to know about how that worked out. Okay. But, but it was still something, it, you know, to put on my resume and Arcana is a decently sized or was a decently sized independent yeah, company were, at the yeah. time. I think they mostly do animation now, but they were, they were producing a lot of comics at the time. So it was a wonderful lot. opportunity. Our yeah, was, licenses are now going to other places too. Right, right. So it was a, it was a great opportunity and I took it and uh, it led absolutely nowhere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was okay. I mean, it was a learning experience for me. And that was the biggest thing that I think I needed at the time was a real, okay. you know, experience in creating comics and working with a publisher. So that was my first big job. And that, like I said, that was 2013. So I got a couple of little gigs after that with with some other publishers, but then I decided to take a couple of years off, focus on my writing. I really wanted to tell my own stories. I was, I do like collaborating. I like working with other writers and storytellers, but it started to dawn on me that maybe my artwork alone wasn't going to carry me, especially at that time. I, I do believe it's progressed quite a bit since then, as as art does. But I decided I wanted to tell my own stories. That's what I wanted to focus on. So I kind of went back to basics, like I said, really honed my my writing craft and 
started doing a webcomic called Decades of Inexperience in 2015, which ran for five years through a publisher called Antexpress. And I'm still good friends with the editor and we're working on some other things now, which are, you know, sort of to be kept under wraps for the time. Keep them bridges, people. Keep them bridges. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And even though Arcana wasn't the, you know, pinnacle of experiences with publishers, I still, you know, kept, you know, I didn't burn any You made good people, I'm sure. Yeah, with it. yeah within absolutely. It. I mean, again, the, the sometimes it's not all the people's fault. It's just some no. things happen, but you meet good people in that journey, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And even the bad ones that you meet, I don't see, you know, any real point or value in, you know, speaking ill of them or or making enemies i mean there's no point in preach that. yeah preach. so you again, can ignore again you can ignore don't them. bridges you just ignore it if you don't like it let them do them let them sink their own ship <laughs> exactly exactly so the decades of inexperience led to mr Butterchips with uh originally it was with a literary magazine called drunk monkeys which is not quite as contrived as it sounds yep. but <laughs> but that's but, who it originally ran with and oh, hey, there he is. it's called drunk monkeys. It's a monkey. Talk to me. What <laughs> it's is a monkey? Who is, yeah, it's, it's who a drunk is Mr. Monkey. Butterchips? It's a drunk monkey being published by drunk monkeys. And so it ran monthly for about four years from 2016 to the beginning of 2021 last year. And Which at, at that, that point, yeah. So that's the official t-shirt. So I'll, I'll talk about that too. So in, in the beginning of 2021, I was talking to Dan Votto of slg publishing and like i said they were one of the first independent publishers that i i kind of discovered in my early 20s kind of my bucket list definitely one on my bucket list of publishers to work with so i had gotten to know dan a little bit because i helped with one of the last alternative press expos in 2017 and so i wanted to do a collection of mr butter chips the ones that had been published by drunk monkeys and so he was all for it he put the collection out um i got some promotion through the friend your friend of the show melissa mazaros hey shout out don't hide pr yeah don't Um, hide pr Um, folks before you even continue if you need someone that is passionate about helping you let me tell you melissa and don't hide pr is where it's at absolutely i mean incredible yeah, she is. I've known her for a very long time, and she even has a book out now. And that's an she amazing does. story in and of itself. Like, wow, her story is absolutely amazing, inspiring, yeah. and I'm glad and very happy that I could say that that's my friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, same and same yours, boat, right? Same boat. Uh, so we so we put the book out, and then I spoke to Dan about possibly rebooting <laughs> Mr. Butterchips because the whole sort of preface of the of Mr. Butterchips during the time it was with the literary magazine was really bashing on the Trump administration. So thank God he was ousted, you know, in when he was. But is he ousted? Because motherfuckers still talking shit nowadays. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not in the White House, but unfortunately, he's still in the public consciousness. Uh, but Please, it was, social it media platforms, block him, block him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it needed a reboot. It needed to, it needed a different director because I didn't necessarily have that as the main punching bag anymore. So I rebooted it kind of as, uh, I, I say it's a combination between Fritz the Cat and Windsor McKay's Little Nemo in Slumberland. So sort of this anthropomorphic animal in a very surreal, hallucinogenic world. So I've been doing that since May of last year. 
Nice. So, yeah, and, and again, that, that was kind of a full circle moment for me because I always wanted to work with SLG. So that's been huge. Um, and I love 20- that. I love how they announced you, though. Mr. Butterchips returns to raise hell. Do you want to know who did that? Do you want to know who came up with that? Melissa. Melissa? (laughs) Of course she did. Of course course it sounds gangster. That's why. She's she's brilliant. Um, So I've been doing that since May. You know, I signed with a literary agent in 2019. So we've got some things in the works there. May I ask you there? Okay. Let me ask you there something. Again, this is a creator's type question. So how important do you feel it is to have an agent on your side? Well, there Has there been something that's been fortuitous to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it depends on the stories that you want to tell, because with an agent, that's mainly if you want to be in the traditional market through the, okay. the book publishers. If you're in the direct market, I don't know that it really behooves you to have a literary agent because most of those companies still have open submissions. And yes, you end up in the slush pile, but I don't know that a literary agent is really going to do much for you with, with places like image or, you know, what was dark horse. So So, yeah, what was is right. Isn't that a shame (laughs) too? Bro, you brought up a good point there. I mean, I I really hope the structure doesn't change, but, you know, we know it will. I hope not. Look at Comicsology. Look at Comicsology. Oh, Amazon, we're not going to change the name. And all of a sudden, man, you guys have been going through (laughs) some shit lately. (laughs) No kidding, man. Yeah. Uh, So for me, the reason I wanted a literary agent was because I wanted to tell stories that weren't necessarily fitting in the parameters of the direct market. I wasn't really telling sci-fi or fantasy stories and, you know, not, not disrespecting people who do that just wasn't what I was writing. So I needed to, to have some sort of avenue into the traditional publishing market, which was getting a, a literary agent. And that was an entirely new beast in and of itself because you have to learn to write a query letter which those those are something man that is an ordeal to learn how to write those so that's something you have to learn on your own i mean there you know i i did research online and i talked to other artists who had successfully queried so you get an idea (laughs) but it's it's so hit or miss. You it were really scaring is. the shit out of me. It's like, yo, is it going to be this hard if I want to do something? Son, damn. Well, you know me, so I can, and I've successfully queried someone, so you can always ask me if you have any questions. <laughs> you, you Listen, um, brother, I definitely will be picking your brain because, yeah. again, because I, I know what I, I, you did release a story, right, uh, on, on a book called Muni Magazine. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing anthology. That's Fabian right there. I got to meet him at um uh, MegaCon, and mm. he was telling me about Mutiny then. Like, yo, Al, this is gonna be hot. I- I'm like, I'm bringing people from all over the world. I- I- I'm making stories that are diverse. You know, I'm doing this. I am doing that. Right. And he's living so- up to that promise too. That's the thing. He is because the story that you sent me, and I'm going to sort of cover it in a second, folks, but the story you sent me from what you wrote in there, um, it fucked me up on a very huge emotional level. And I'm going to be very honest there. Um, Your story is insane. Your story really touched my heart because, again, um, as a family man, I experienced that. So can you share with me why you feel maybe it's important to share those type of stories? Absolutely. 
So and look so at that Muni magazine. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah and that's that's a uh, Derek Robertson, I think his name is. Like yeah, really Derek Robertson, really famous yeah. comic artist. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful drawing. It's a beautiful magazine, yo. This is the future, is. folks. You better start picking this up for real. It's, it's yeah, there's dope. there's interviews with you know top creators. There's feature rats yeah. in there, and there's a ton of original comics. I need more press releases. Tell your homie to send me these press releases because <laughs> people need to know about this amazing right. magazine. Yeah, I'll I'll sell uh, I'll send Fabrice an email after this. Yeah, Fabrice. Yeah, man, Fabrice. <laughs> send me your stuff, kiddo. So he, I had gotten to know him over the last couple of years because the Good editor. Guy. For, How did you meet him? Great guy, great guy. So the the editor for decades of inexperience, uh, a guy named Francis Lombard, still a really good friend of mine, great editor, and he knew Fabrice. Um, okay. When f- f- from the time that Fabrice was at Humanoids, still, which he hasn't been for a oh, while. Oh yes. Yeah. And and then Fabrice went on to do, you know, to co-create Spider-Man Noir and start his own publisher. He's he's an incredibly accomplished guy. So I got yes, to know him over the past couple of years and Mutiny specifically and his publisher, Fair Square Comics, focuses on marginalized creators. So he's Jewish as well. And he knew I was Jewish and he invited me to pitch him a story. And, it, and he really left it open ended. I could have pitched him whatever I wanted. And my wife and I early last year had gone through this ordeal where we lost our first child. And so for me, it it felt almost like I didn't have a choice. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but it it was a reaction piece to that. It was something I needed to put down on paper, on the page. I, I needed some sort of documentation of where I was emotionally and mentally at the time. So I wrote it and I sent it to him and it, it took him a day or two to write me back, and I'm sure it was just because he was busy. But of course, in my mind, no, he was being crying. The obsessive, being the obsessive, yeah, maybe being the obsessive <laughs> guy that I am, I'm, I'm convincing myself that he hated it and he doesn't want to publish it. But he wrote me back a few days later, and it was quite the opposite of that. He said how much he loved it and felt that it was a necessary piece to put out, not just in mutiny but in the world, yes, which I greatly is. appreciated coming from him. So that's that's what happened, and I did the artwork and and had my colorist uh, do the and colors on it. A guy named Alan Ferguson who's wonderful. Can I understand something here though? Because, sure. Because you know, the story again, I got to tell you, fucked me up. You have a particular line here: a sibling not intended to replace you, yeah, but to honor you. I mean, yeah. that that fucking line right there was the one that broke my heart. Yeah. Because I was like, damn, that, that that's it right there. And because you know my why wife did and we I, use, and then why did you use balloon heads too? I need to know. <laughs> okay, so so first thing, um, yeah, it, it was that line came from my wife and I discussing trying again, you know, and it it occurred to me that well, God bless it, you, lady Sue, yo, when these oh, absolutely guys, yeah, um, and and it it just dawned on me that you know it it could feel like you're doing it to replace the loss. But I wanted to make it very clear, I guess, maybe just for myself even, that that's not what we were doing. It was it was because we wanted a family and she'll always be our first child, always. It, it, as many kids as we may have, if we have other kids, she'll always be our first. And so I just, I felt a need to, you know, establish that and, and say that. So that's where that line came from. So the balloon heads, that was from how I felt 
after it happened because like I said that that head in the clouds type of thing you don't know what yeah, the fuck's going on right and Smoking. I and I drew everything kind of at wonky angles because it just yes. at that time everything feels off nothing feels normal and so then the last page I kind of do away with the balloon heads when you know it's it's suggested that maybe we're yes. feeling a little bit so but the balloon heads came from that that just that's how it felt nothing felt real it, it, and it doesn't, I mean, I think even now discussing it, it's, it's been, you know, it'll be a year in April since we, since we went through that ordeal. And to some degree, it still doesn't feel real. It's, it's I a know, bizarre, yeah. It's and, and a lot of people I, go through it. And I think that's like, I've gone through said. it early in life, yeah. later in life, the decision had to be yeah. made, you know, versus, you know, one life versus the other and decisions had to be made. But none, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it's decisions that we really don't want to make, right? No, and, and it's almost decisions right. that you don't have a decision. That's that's the weirdest part. Yeah, it doesn't you, you no when you have a non. Uh, let's call it the non-decision, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like you're... here. Here's your option, but you really have no choice, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the option is your wife dies or your child dies, essentially. You know, in to some degree, so it's not really an option. Um, yeah, and, and, and for I, us, my I, I wife, yeah, my wife ended up going into preterm labor. Uh, so, cause she had oh. appendicitis and then that led to preterm labor. So we really didn't have any choice in the matter. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So again, oh, yeah. that reaction piece was something that I felt was necessary for me. And I had discussions with my wife about producing that because it wasn't something. How did she feel about the story? Because again, you know, this, again, you know, we're, we're talking about your lady. This is a very personal story. Absolutely. And the fact that you're laying it out. So you know, God bless you for having the courage to even lay out a story like this publicly. But, I mean, you know, how I, does she feel? I attribute that to her, honestly, because she was okay with me telling the story. And, you know, it was one of those things that I wouldn't have been comfortable just submitting it or putting it out into the world if she hadn't given the okay to do that because it was it's not just my story to tell it's it's both of our stories and I needed her to be okay with it and she was and again because it was more of a reaction piece than discussing the specifics of what led to that so I think that may have softened the blow a little bit of produce of of creating that story and all I'm going to show people is this little page right there memory box folks all right that's all I'm going to show you. All I'm going to tease you with, because you got to get Muni Magazine and read this amazing story. But right there, yo, the written and illustrated by him. Colors by Alan Ferguson. Talk yeah. about Alan. How, how'd you meet Alan, man? How'd that's, you meet, meet a, a, a compa in this, yo? Yeah, that's my boy, my compa. Um, so I was introduced to him by one of the founders of Drunk Monkeys Magazine, the, the ones yeah. who originally published Mr. Butterchips. It's, uh, I believe, a cousin of his or an uncle, something. <laughs> I'm getting it wrong. Sorry, Matt. Uh, but he introduced <laughs> me to Alan. Cause, so Alan's actually re- retired from, um, you know, his day job. But he's, he's done graphic design work and coloring for, a, you know, a, a large portion of his life. And when I saw his colors and how they complemented my line work very early on, it was something that I, I it was somebody that I knew I wanted to and needed to work with and thankfully he's enjoyed the work that i've done enough to sign on to most of the things if not all of the things that i've asked him to to color so alan's wonderful colorist alan ferguson he's not on much social media but 
very very talented guy and i'm lucky that's all right him. keep him keep him as your secret weapon they don't need to <laughs> that's my plan yeah i'm not giving out his email address none of you can have him um, <laughs> none none get out of here alan belongs to, to alan. he's mine <laughs> yeah very possessive very possessive of my colors hey yo hey bro it is what it is man because when you got somebody that does amazing work like this and again i mean you're doing amazing work so is this what we could keep seeing from you my brother this very slice of life very personal pieces because again bro this one fucked me up i'm almost scared to read anything else you do because i I, listen i'll make us gonna admit right now because of my experience the story really made me tear up yeah and 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 this is why i turned to my wife like you need to read this yeah i mean i think writing and telling stories in any capacity is about affecting people and connecting with people and if that if those are people who have an immediate connection because they've gone through a similar you know experience great if it's somebody who can just empathize and appreciates it that has a heart that has a heart yeah (laughs) that that's great too so yeah i mean that's mainly i've you know, moved more into that sort of genre of slice of life. So do you enjoy that a lot more than when you thinking of any superhero shit? Personally, yes, I, I do. Um, well, and again, no, no disrespect to people who like superhero books or and, and which books. is the fine thing. You know, it is. I'm yeah. for everyone, and we need to have you know diversity in content. Yes, it can't just be superhero. It yeah. can't just be spy action. Sometimes right. we need this slice of life. Like yo, listen, a reflection of our we've experienced. Well, that's the interesting thing about the history of comics, not to go on a different tangent, but when they first started, it was superhero books and, you know, books about war and romance books. And at one point in North America specifically, it just bottlenecked into superheroes. Yeah. And so now, now it's starting to diversify a little bit again. So, which has been really nice to see. Thanks to SLG. Image. Absolutely. Um, you know, even image then, stepped outside the superhero universe and said, hey, yo, what, what would happen if we did noir? What would happen if we did this? What would happen if, we, yeah. you know, thanks to publishers like that for, you know, taking the initiative to, to offer alternatives to superheroes. Absolutely. And having the, the chutzpah to do that. You, know, Wait, having, you ain't like, lying. No, just like not even caring and, and wanting to publish stories that they believe in, which is a wonderful thing. And you know like what? you said, that's I gotta that's say something, thing. Alex. Though you say yeah. hot spot and all, and I always find myself using Yiddish terms too as a Brooklynite from yeah, you know, you're that, from that New York, so sure. yeah, from, yeah. You know, I'd be using the spiel and a whole bunch of other yeah. words, and, and like yeah. you know, my boss, I, I work with a Jewish boss. When I started using the words, he would look at me. He goes, "Where did you grow up again?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is, I think the East Coast, it's very easy to believe that very you know, natural Yiddish is in your lexicon from yeah. an early age. It is, you know, it is again because you know again I, I had the Hasids, the Hasidic Jewish folks delivering yeah, stuff yeah. and then talking to me and then also sure. bringing a piece of chocolate cake. I mean, damn! Oh, oh, the bun cake? Is it bun cake? Oh my God. That's yes. like the Jews' oh big God. thing, yeah. Yo, my dude, bro, my dude. <laughs> when, when my first vendor brought that to me, said, Alex, I appreciate your help here. I said, what's this? He goes, you're going to love it. You like chocolate? I said, yeah. He goes, you're going to love it. All right. Oh, my God, bro. I fell in love. <laughs> yeah. Change your life, huh? Woo! <laughs> Let uh, me tell you, kiddo. That's, that's dangerous. So you don't want Almega on chocolate and weed and beer. It's horrible. Anyway. Just kind of the best combo, though. 
It is. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't and, be able to have this conversation if, if you were on all of those three at the same time right now. But No, no. Like, I, but with that chocolate, boy, you, you'd be talking tongues. I'll tell you that much, though. Oh, That's yeah. some real yeah. shit, bro. That's, that's Dude, some good stuff. <laughs> we Jews know desserts, man. Like, there not, might not be a lot of things that we're great at, but... I'll, I'll give you that. And I remember, yo, bro, not for nine too. I remember when I worked at a job in, in, in Queens and we had Jewish bosses and, and it, it was, it was like the holidays time. They're like, yo, you know, let's drink some Manischewitz. I said, what is that? I never knew terrible that. wine. That's what it is. It's terrible, but damn, <laughs> they gave me tipsy. Holy shit. Sure, I didn't yeah. drug it before. I was like, damn, is this, it, this is Jewish Cisco. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. That's that's a good point. I never thought of it like that. But Jewish Cisco, bro. It'll fuck it you up with his trash. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, bro, what else yeah. we got coming, bro? You know, what else so we the, got coming? I need to know where am I going to be throwing my wallet at when it comes to the Schumacherverse? Yeah, absolutely. And everybody should, by the way. Um, yes, they should. It's a <laughs> so, so we do have. I, I was hoping. To give more details because, but we're still kind of in negotiation. I know you were tra- you were telling me you were gonna tease me and fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am gonna say on here. So this is the first time I'm saying it publicly right here on Comic Crusaders. Scoop, my, scoop. My literary agent did sell a graphic novel of mine. So hopefully we'll be able to give some actual details on that very shortly. But it's with... Yo, please break it with me. Send me yeah. that press release with the oh, embargo. I release it when you want. I promise. Definitely. So we're doing that. That's going to be something going in the next couple of years because it's going to yeah. take a while to work on. But it's coming out through a traditional publisher. It's going to be one of my biggest projects to date, which is wonderful. So how excited um, are you for this? Oh, man, I'm pumped. It's You should have seen. I, I don't think. I think all people saw was my teeth for days after I, I got that news. Well, because, you've been going through a lot of things recently, so I'm pretty sure this was much needed great news. Yeah, and honestly, there was a lot going on where we were, you know, and, and as part of publishing, you receive rejections, and I was getting to a point where I was almost ready to to pack it in and walk away. No, from no, no, we need so, some. Well, we got that. We got that acceptance. So I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, also, speaking of our friend Melissa, I am working on a little something with her, a little proposal. You know, oh. again, can't really share details at this point, but I'm, you know, I adore her. She well, is Melissa knows what to do. Melissa know what to do. Give me the scoop because yeah. you know Comic Crew will be there for you. <laughs> yeah. And and when that happens, if and when that happens, we will definitely contact you guys. I don't believe that there's um, an if. I know it, it's a when. <laughs> okay, when that happens. Yeah. Uh, there's there also might be a screenplay in the works. What? Are, um, are we going to be seeing some Schumacher TV now? No, hold on. Hopefully not my face, because I, you know, I want people to actually watch it. So I'll, I'll be behind the scenes. Um, and then another manuscript, which my uh, agent will hopefully start shopping around soon. And I have a, a good friend, Randy Haldeman. It. Randy Haldeman, who's a who's also an amazing illustrator, and and he's going to work with me on that. Because I'm, you know, I'm 41. I not that I have one foot in you're, the grave. You're, you're five years younger than me, my brother. And actually, yeah. in April, you will be six years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, I, it's not like I have one foot in the grave, but at the same time, I'm not in my 20s either. So this, yeah, we got to make shit happen. Exactly. So I was always very protective of my stories and, you know, was in this mindset that I had to draw and write everything. But I've I've now let that go to some degree and, and have to capitulate some control, which I have difficulty doing. But when it's somebody like Randy, who I know can tackle it with you know just brilliant art like i'm okay with doing that so there's there's definitely some big things in the works so hopefully 
you'll be seeing more from me in the near so, future. So talk to me here, last last piece here. Yeah, advice, yeah. right? Advice in the journey. Advice in the journey. You've been doing this for a minute. You got great things going on because I know you got personal things going on and having all these wonderful things happening at the same time must be very perplexing. How do you deal with so many things happening at once as a creator and stay focused? You know, to some degree, you have to compartmentalize. And I, I'm a big advocate for therapy, honestly. And, you know, I know it's there's some stigma to it and there's there's it's maligned oftentimes, but it can do wonders for people. And maybe it doesn't work for everybody, sure. But for me, it's been great. And so that's something that I use to kind of ground myself. And music is still a big thing for me. I, if I yeah. put on those headphones and pump some good music, I can get All to right. zone. Oh, I need to know. As a, when you create, uh-huh. what's your go-to soundtrack? It depends on the project. Honestly. Oh, I love it. Because I could do anything <laughs> from, from blues. I'm a huge blues fan. Anything I love that. the Black Keys. That's my crew right now. I oh, love. Black Keys I, got the, I, I, I have the whole discography. I love Black Keys. <laughs> nice. I love the old school blues, but you know, those, that's the new school blues. <laughs> yeah. No, I listen to things like you know Wild Child Butler and you know Lightning Slim and uh, Slow Hand. Or so you don't you don't listen Home to no Kanye. You don't listen to Kanye. <laughs> I don't listen to Kanye particularly. No. <laughs> <laughs> no play. I mean, yo, no this new album. Uh, little, this new album though, pretty cool, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's just his creative process. He'd be acting a little crazy, man. I'm like, stop. Yeah, it. and I'm okay with a little crazy. I mean, punk rock is certainly a little crazy. So a little, what? Yeah, listen, I've been through. Uh, uh, come on, man. I'm a New Yorker from Brooklyn. Do you not think I've hit punk rock concerts? I, I, I've been there with Black Flag and a couple of others where they oh, yeah. almost ripped my, they almost ripped my arm off. Cause yo, dude, I caught the flag, and then <laughs> like five dudes came up and began to grab it and i'm trying to fight and to the point that my finger got red i said nah bro i'm not gonna lose a finger yeah I got no it. it's not worth it damn it damn it but i had the flag yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost you're that close bro hey you know let me tell you those mosfets were amazing because my brothers they, they dived from from some like high up joint and mm. nobody picked them up and wifey was with me but you know because i was with her i i I said, I'm not going to be involved in the mosh. I'll be part of the wall. You enjoy the show. And I'll be mindful if anybody comes. I saw them fall. All I had to do was, I'll be back. I picked yeah. them up and, and disappeared into the crowd. They didn't know who saved them until the end of the show. <laughs> right? And then in that very same show, somebody decided to punch me in my face while I'm standing on the sidelines. Because they thought that I wasn't going to do something. Mm. <laughs> Big mistake, Man. Huh? Oh my God, I made that dude eat the floor and the next thing you know, he got jumped by 20 heads. <laughs> I was like, yes! And then again, disappeared nice. back into the crowd. Like, yeah, exactly. who's, who started this? Don't, don't ask. Ninja Vanish, yeah. So um, whoever you well, were, we went, to ask me, good for you. Before we went on the musical diatribe, you did ask for some advice. So here's here's what I'm going to say. And, and it may sound trite, but it is really be true to yourself. And you know, I fought long and hard to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. And, you know, if being true to yourself means, you know, doing something that's that's in the direct market and doing sci-fi and doing something that you think will make you money, that's great. That's fine. I, I never really had any, you know, aspiration to do that. I have always wanted to tell personal stories. Wow. So it really is about being true to yourself, being true to your style, you know, and I 
I was listening to a podcast with Jason Mantzoukas. The, I don't know if you know the comedian. And he yeah. was talking about when he first went to Hollywood, he had a casting director tell him, nobody's looking for what you're doing right now. You're, you're great. You're a genius. Nobody's going to hire you right now. It's going to be another 10 years or so until you get hired. Don't get discouraged. Keep going to auditions. But it's going to take a while until people can figure out how to use your talent. And so that really resonated with me because I think it did take me a little bit longer because I, I'm so kind of obstinate about <laughs> the stories that I want to tell. And I don't just want to create comics to make a buck. I want to do it to put out stories like the one in Mutiny Magazine, things that are that are personal to me, things that I hope will affect other people. So that's really what it's about as an, as an artist of any kind is just tell your story, be true to yourself. That's all I can say. I love that, man, because there's so much truth in that. Always be yeah. true to yourself. Always be you and yeah. don't let no one ever change you. And if they try nope. to change you, then guess what? That's not the home for you. Exactly. You exactly. know, and, and I appreciate will... that. It may take a while, but you will find somebody who not only understands what you do, but appreciates what you do and wants to help you put that out into the world. Yo, brother. Yo, man. Real talk, man. I love everything you do. I love the stories you do. You're so creative. Oh, yo, thanks, so just giving, giving you your flowers, man. Just I thank you. That. Thank you, Alex. You rock. You keep creating. You keep rocking it. You keep sharing them stories. Keep making Al Mega cry, apparently. <laughs> Damn that's it. my only that's my I'm, only objective from here on out is to make you cry. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, keep sending me those stories. I'll be honest, because you yeah. know that's I'll you know real talk that that story from the mutiny magazine because in just in real life I've gone through that and reminded yeah. me and brought me back to that place and I had that emotional moment and I was like shit, I haven't read a comic book in a couple of years. That 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 made me feel this way. Like holy mm. shit, it made me reflect. I mean, I don't get that often. I always have. I always try to refund books, but when yeah. you find something that makes you reflect, holy smokes, is that powerful? So just thank you for reminding me. Well, I appreciate that, my friend. And not just that though. We want to love to you and your lady. Thank you. Um, and I hope we get that sibling real soon. Me too. <laughs> hey, all right. So you know the sibling exactly. You rock, bro. So, folks, I've been sharing this throughout. Please visit the website at Alex Schumacher Art. I know, Schumacher, you guys may be confused on the spelling, right? S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R. Okay? Schumacher. So, AlexSchumacherArt.com. And you can visit him on Patreon, on Twitter, on Instagram at A-J Schumacher Art. Same spelling, folks. Keeping it simple, yeah. A-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R-A-R-T. So, you know, follow him on the social. Keep appraised of his works. Because for real, you guys will not regret it. You're going to love it. You're going to go to Al Mega and be like, shit, I cried too. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's the promise. So with that, Alex, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. absolutely my today. pleasure. Absolutely bro, you rock. Bro. I, I know we rescheduled once, and I hope everything's good with the lady because I know what was going yeah. on. So everything, yeah. I hope everything's fine. God bless you and yours. And with that, folks, you know what to do. I'm Almega. The outro tells you everything you got to do. Thank you for tuning in. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. Much love, yo. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. 
Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 